Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. All right, Dave, great to be with you today. Uh, and thanks everybody for joining for the top five at five. And again, of course, if you're new to us, um, this is where we give you uh, some of the best money managers uh, top five picks in 20 minutes. Um, so stay tuned for that in terms of getting stock ideas. I think that's what people really want and, and also to understand why, what the fundamentals are. But, um, but David, let's start with the top-down perspective because you can't ignore the macro picture at this point. So um, what, do you, what are you watching? And, and I think particularly it's on the, uh, on the uh, U.S. Treasury front and, and the spreads that we're seeing and what the bond market might be indicating to us. Yeah, a lot of uh, stock investors don't pay enough attention to the bond market. And it's usually the bond market that dictates what's usually going to happen in the economy next. So even today, we're starting to see another uh, 10 basis point increase uh, in treasuries. So what we have when you look at the yield curve is a big hump in the two year, where those yields have risen faster than the 10 and 30. And that's in uh, pretty much a response to what hedge funds are doing, which is shorting that two-year treasury right now on the expectation that rates by the Fed are going to rise another one and a quarter percent. So the way to think about it, whether you're a bond investor or a stock investor is number one, if the Fed raises rates short-term, which is what they have the power to do, and the long-term rates don't rise in tandem, then you're going to have the inverted yield curve. And what we've seen so far is reaction in the United States is uh, mortgage rates are topping 4% there right now and demand is starting to fall off. So when you look at commodity prices, the, one, the two commodities that are down this year are coffee, but lumber as well. So the home builders are starting to slow down their, their demand as well. The second thing that has an impact on the stock market is that if the Federal Reserve rates rise another one and a half percent between now and the end of the year, that will put corporate bond yields in that four and a half to five percent range. And suddenly you have competition where after tax yields on uh, corporate bonds are gonna be higher than dividend yields. So people mm. may <clears throat> start to move money out of the stock market into the bond market and go back to that old 60-40 asset mix for stability. Interesting. Um, David, I, I want to ask though as well, when, when going back in terms of taking a look at the two-year yield, which is moving higher because of the U.S. Fed expectations and rate hikes, and the interesting aspect though is that there is the additional pressure that the hedge funds are shorting at the two years, expecting the price to go down because there's an inverse relationship between rates going higher and the value of your bond. So that's that part of the equation. But I'm curious, um, and, and just that is the alone driver can cause the yield curve to flatten and maybe invert. But it also has to incorporate in terms of the overall picture, what people are really thinking about the 30 year bond, which you know, if people are hopeful about the future, you would expect that the um, 30 year uh, yield 
would be higher than the two-year two-year yield. That that um, that the rates would be higher in the in the future. So, what is it? Do you think that thirty-year investors are are telling us? Are they just out of the picture, or are they actually saying, you know, we're, we've got a concern about a, a recession looming? That would be the talking point right now. Is that there? The concern is that when the rates are finished rising this year, um, if it quells uh, inflation risks, then um, you know the higher rates are going to have an impact on spending. Because if people's mortgage rates are going higher, then they have to allocate more money uh, towards debt repayment as well as food and energy. So that's the the big concern. But the flip side of that is, don't forget, the Federal Reserve has the power through their quantitative easing to start selling the 30-year and trying to get its yield to go higher to keep that yield curve inverted, or not inverted, but uh, upwardly sloping, which Mm. would suggest a better uh, opportunity for the economy and therefore the markets to do well. That's why I think we're probably in a a good six-month time frame of advanced volatility because we really don't know if inflation is going to be uh, slowed or put under control in the next six months just with these, these rate hikes. And, and let's add into the equation as well, um, for those of us who are, or for those of you who aren't familiar, um, the ARC ETF and Kathy Wood and, and how that plays into, I don't know if it's your thinking or just an observation in the market. It reminds me a lot of uh, year 2000 when the tech bubble burst. And don't forget the Fed was raising rates at that time as well. So between 2000 and 2003, we went through a difficult recession, which was also uh, hampered by 9-11. So the the tech bubble burst, even if you owned a stock like Microsoft, it hit its peak in December of 99 and took 17 years to get back to break even. So when I look at Kathy Wood's ARK investing, you have to understand that number one, a lot of the stocks that she owns aren't profitable yet. So really she's making a bet on the future. And number two, as a portfolio manager, she has to stay in business until those uh, investments pay off. So it's a matter of not only managing the stock portfolio, but also managing the cash flows in the business. And the fact that she's down uh, 30 to 40% year to date is indicative of the fact that 80% of the stocks on the NASDAQ market are not profitable. So it really is the, the bubble bursting of all the, the stay-at-homers that were just buying for the sake of buying, as opposed to thinking of discount rates and with the rise in interest rates, what could the impact be on these companies? Yeah, David, I've now seen that statistic that 80% of the NASDAQ companies are unprofitable. That's astounding. I mean, I don't know that I would have pegged it at 80%. Yeah. Well, I just did a, a survey of 8,000 stocks, including all of the NASDAQ names. Mm. And it was just blowing my mind that a lot of them were showing uh, no profits whatsoever or just oh. stagnant losses. So, And that comes into the play with interest rates rising, that for companies that have no profits and have to keep going back to the market to raise cash, because as a tech company, they're burning through a lot of cash. So the need is there until they have a viable business and can start getting uh, market share and pricing power. Rising interest rates is not helping uh, the NASDAQ or the small cap. So the Russell 2000 is also uh, suffering this year. And I know you're also looking at Facebook and Shopify, not from a stock pick perspective today, but what, what's the analogy here with those two names? 
Well, this is the, the rule of, or the law of diminishing returns is that companies can rise based on their own merit, but at some point their profitability and the revenue growth is gonna to start to slow down as they get bigger. So in Facebook's case, it's just a matter of the fact that Apple users can block ads. So Facebook's ads, ad rates have started to fall. In Shopify's case, it's, this is what you get for paying 20 times sales where the stock was as high as $2,200 a share and has mm. fallen anywhere 60, 70%. I think it's around $900 today. Mm. Is that you just can't buy it on the belief that it's gonna grow 50% a year forever. At some point it has to start declining uh, its revenues and its growth rates start to slow down as they get bigger. Tesla's in the same ballpark right, right now. Because it's it, hard for them to write, raise their revenues 100% a year for very long before competition as well as the size of the business starts to eat into their returns. Right. Um, and, and so taking all of that, plus the geopolitical tensions, uh, Ukraine-Russia war, the price of oil, concerns surrounding inflation, higher valuations, um, it's not an easy market um, <laughs> at all, you know, and, and it never is, it never is, but this is, I, I think is a little bit more complex. You bet. And it's a big melting pot of everything going on right now. If you think of the stock markets that are up year to date, they include Brazil, Mexico, and Canada, which are oil related. And then Great Britain, the UK uh, stock markets up about 1% year to date because the drop in the pound has helped their stocks. And then you think of the currency where the Canadian dollar US has been pretty flat but countries that don't uh, have access to oil, like Japan, are getting killed this year. So the Canadian dollar is up about 7% against uh, the Japanese yen. So as we come back home, we look at oil prices rising and the TSX doing well because roughly a third of the, the index is oil or oil related. And that's what we're getting as well. So uh, investors that don't have oil or ancillary companies to oil uh, are getting their heads handed to them this year. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of the stocks that you like. And um, why don't we start with a U.S. company, Chubb Insurance, Chubb Limited. Um, what's the story? What's the fundamentals here in terms of why you like it? Well, they're one of the largest uh, insurance, reinsurance companies in the world. But while most pundits are talking about wanting to own the banks as interest rates rise, uh, I like to look at other sectors of the financial services business to see where opportunities lie. And insurance looks good right now because they've got the tailwinds of rising prices. So anticipating that over the next five years, uh, they think their prices will be increasing about 10 to 15% a year. That much? Yeah, and that's Gosh. what they've been doing for the last two years. Yeah. So anytime you have, you know, with, with uh, global warming and all of these hurricanes, et cetera, uh, sure. A lot of them lay off their, their risks so they're not 100% exposed to catastrophe. And that by reinsurance, they might only have 10% exposure, and then they can turn right around and raise rates to offset that. So in Chubb's case, uh, interest rates are good for the insurance industry because you've got all this money sitting on the sidelines that if you're uh, charging more than you're having to pay out, then you get to reinvest the balance which is why Warren Buffett loves insurance companies mm. to, to uh, reinvest the float with rates rising. Chubb 
was unlike other insurers in that most of them would have a 60-40 asset mix uh, in their investment side of the business, but Chubb was 100% fixed income. So with one, every 1% increase in uh, interest rates is going to add about $1.2 billion of additional investment income for them. So the, to the bottom line, it's almost yeah. like 50 cents per share increase. Hmm. Well, what's the stock reflecting right now? Um, it's actually up 9% year to date. So it's way outperforming the, the S&P 500. As a result of uh, the combination of their combined ratio, which is around 89%. So for every dollar that they're right underwriting in insurance only paying out 89 cents. So that dollar 10 is growing their investment portfolio and with rates rising, it's going to be a benefactor for them. Okay. Let's take a look at another one. Uh, teleperformance. This is essentially, if you think of the old days where people would answer the phones uh, for telemarketers or any kind of service, they're being replaced by robots now. And teleperformance mm. is at the front of that uh, change and they're using artificial intelligence to be able to mine the data from all the people that are calling in, offer them other services, customer service, technical support, telemarketing and it's really been a business that's taken off in the last five years so um, it's a, a core holding for us. Hmm. It's a company that trades out of France but it's global in nature. Uh, mostly the telecoms and uh, utilities and the healthcare businesses use them, but they're starting to spread uh, elsewhere through the world. And they just raised the dividend by 38%. So for investors, when you see your dividend jump a large amount, that's usually an indication of what the profit growth expectation is going to be as well. Hmm. So, so we're, getting, we're getting both the price appreciation and the dividend increase. So the total return is working out quite well. Any idea what the yield is right now, approximately? It's not large. It's only about 1.2%. Okay. But again, if it's growing at, say, 15% a year, which I think is its long-term average, then that yield is going to double roughly every five years, which is better than the historical norm of companies worldwide, which is about 5 or 6%. And just to be clear, in terms of the data centers, or not even the data centers, the call centers, is the person on the other side of the phone, is it a person or is it a robot? Because I think so much of our, like I, I get so frustrated. <laughs> I, I, I get it if the business is collecting the data that they then learn from a person, but I don't know if it's a robot, how great that's gonna be as an experience, right? Yeah, and it's at the very early stages of the, the bot frontier. So it gives them the opportunity to learn and grow from that too. So hopefully your experience in the future will improve. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't get ever rid since, of us. Ever, ever since, forever. Yeah, ever since they started offshoring like 17 years ago, I think everybody's had a poor experience trying to get help, right? My goodness. Okay, next one, CCL Industries, which is based in Canada, um, an industrial company. Tell us a little bit about what they actually do. Well, they're a package, packaging firm, so consumer packaging such as uh, potato, you know, the, the uh, Pringles potato chips and the, the cardboard tubes or uh, anything that's can, covered in plastic is essentially going to be packaged by them. Um, you think about what was shut down during COVID, which is 
working in the office. So cosmetics revenues fell, mm. which they're a big packager of, mm. uh, or any kind of um, going to Vegas for a trade show. All of those little uh, stickers on your your lapel that says "Hello, I'm so and so." We're not being sold because that was all shut down. So the stock price, I think it hit a high of around 75, trading around in the mid 50s right now as a result of, of COVID. But here's a company that's one of the leaders in its industry. And if we start to ease away from COVID from pandemic to endemic and people start going back to the office and start going to trade shows, then that should start to, to pick up their, their earnings, which have pretty much been flat for the last two years. Hmm. Are you but, surprised that more people might not be looking at it? I mean, if it's so far off or 24% off the 52 week high, because it's a reopening play and, you know, you see the airlines or the cruise lines or Vegas get, get bit up quite aggressively. It seems that this one doesn't quite kind of get the same attention. Yeah. And it's just a matter of waiting until uh, people start to see the, the, the earnings start, begin to grow again. The great thing is that they've been able to maintain their operating margins. And as a result, they've been able to raise the dividend. Uh, by 14%, which mm. is amazing given that they've been pretty much locked down for the last two years yeah. to grow the revenues and profits. So it's a good idea of, of how they can manage the business and number two, uh, manage their capital. So they're generating good free cash flows. So it is one uh, to watch moving forward and then buying at a 24% uh, discount. Certainly okay. a lot better than it was a year and a half ago. Let's, uh, yeah, let, let's take a look at another one um, in the United States, Little Fuse Inc. Um, on the NASDAQ as well. What's the story here? It's an, elect, uh, an auto play of sorts. Well, they also make fuses uh, across many industries, including cell phones and, and PCs and utility companies and, and other things. Um, but if we're moving towards electrification in the future, you cannot turn on anything without having a fuse, otherwise you'll burn up. Hmm. So this is where it comes into play with the cars. They also make LED lights and sensors. So they're really into the, the wave of the future as far as uh, lighting and electrification are concerned. What we really like about them, because we've owned them for a very long time, is that they're able to turn their profits into complete free cash flow. And this is what's known as cash conversion. So where you can compare your free cash flow relative to your net uh, profits, if you're at 100%, that gives you an awful lot of financial flexibility. So not only are they in the right space right now, where I'd prefer to own them than a car company, mm. but also they're managing their capital effectively. So they're able to go out into the world, make tuck-in acquisitions and have it paid off within two or three years, and then rinse and repeat. So this is why all of the stocks in our portfolios tend to have that cash conversion rate of about 100% because it gives them that financial flexibility to pay down the debt, raise the dividend at double the rate of other companies out there, buy back shares, uh, increase their percentage of R&D to their revenues so they can stay relevant mm -hmm. and, and make tuck-in acquisitions. So it's just a matter of the CFO uh, dividend increase um, tuck in acquisitions, pay down debt, or put it towards R&D and then rinse and repeat. And you end up with long-term returns that tend to be uh, one to one and a half times better than, than the market itself. Interesting. 
Um, let's take a look at the, your next one. Asteris, PLC, the ticker there is STE um, in the United States, assuming it trades on, uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. Correct. Okay. Uh, the PLC is there only because they, for tax reasons, linked Ireland to oh. set up shop for the lower tax uh, burden. But hmm. they're also making acquisitions around the world. So they're not just a US firm. Um, they've been hurt by shutdown of elective surgeries at hospitals. So again, another COVID issue that once those uh, surgeries start to be performed again, because people can't put off their hip and knee replacements forever. Steris does all the sterilization uh, in the operating rooms. And they also will do the sterilization and provision of endoscopy equipment. Hmm. It's the elective surgery. If you want to go in and have something done quickly, for example, have your gallbladder taken out, you're not being cut stem to stern. They just go in with a laparoscopy uh, or removing uh, uh, in the gallbladder all of the, the, the things that build up. Mm -hmm. They can go in and with the electric. Uh, with the endoscopy and, and take it out uh, where it's not as, as invasive. It's not as invasive, but so, but their property, their, their main product is the sterilization, Steris. Correct. Yep. And we have an aging population in North America and, and pretty much in the West. So all of those uh, um, elective surgeries are, are just creating a backlog right now until the hospitals reopen. And yeah. Hung in pretty well. I think it's been characteristic of all the medical device companies in the last year or so. Uh, you look at Stryker that does hips and knees again, once everybody starts going back to get them replaced and you're gonna have this backlog of, of demand that's gonna have the revenues and profits rising quickly. So yeah, I and I think- I wouldn't yeah. overlook the, the medical device sector in the US right now, as far no, as- No, I, I hear you and it's been so tough looking at some of the medical device companies because you know, the fits and starts with the openings and closings because of COVID, you know, I think we thought many times that they would have, you know, started to, you know, perform very well. And it, it's been a tough, it's been a tough go, but they're, you know, they're long-term holds in my, in my opinion. So if you can get them at a discount, you're saying there's, this is pretty interesting. Steris was trading at 28 times is now about 20 times. That's a huge pullback. That's right. And that's when I start to get interested. So where most people like to go shopping at stores, this is when I can rub my hands and go, okay, it's time for me to go shopping when I see something mm -hmm. at a discount to what its fair market value should be. So to wrap it up here, David, I was gonna ask you, when we take a look at all of these names that you've provided us today, Chubb, um, Little Few, CCL Industries, Steris, do you, um, which ones have you kind of just held for a long time and you'd still be a buyer of versus more of a newer name? Like I'm assuming all of these, you would be comfortable to own, to buy today. Yeah. In some cases we've owned them anywhere from 10 to 25 years. So we continue to uh, buy them when the opportunities arise because it all comes down to, if we have 75 names to choose from creating 30 stock portfolios, I want to pick the ones that are the cheapest at that particular time. But like Warren Buffett, we are investors in companies. We're not stock traders. So our annual turnover is less than 10% a year. And nice. usually it's, it disappears. A stock will disappear more because of a takeover rather than an outright sell. Okay. But all, of these, you're, all of these you're comfortable to buy additional shares today? Definitely. Okay. All right, David, that was great. Thank you so much um, for your top-down Mac review, which is so important in terms of, you know, what the fixed income market is telling us, because that is, to your point, um, 
you know, historically can be right. <laughs> uh, and then and then being very tactical in, in terms of some of the stocks mm -hmm. to own today. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to see you again, Catherine. Thank you.